All right, Ryan, thanks for reading our abide reading for today. And if you're visiting with us and wonder why we're reading Genesis 47 when we're actually in the book of Acts preaching, it's because we're going through a reading program together. And second half of the year, doing an overview of the Old Testament. So we're almost done with Genesis and we're going to move on. And, and we won't read all the Old Testament in the second half. That gives us a picture of um, what uh, God is saying in the Old Testament. Uh, but if you would... Uh, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 7 as we continue our study of the book of Acts um, entitled The Mission of God. And we, uh, Lord willing, are being working down through verse uh, 54 through 8 of chapter 8. So we're beginning ch- uh, chapter 7 verse 54 and make our way down through the 8th verse of chapter 8. And the uh, title of the message this morning is The Unstoppable Mission of of God. The unstoppable mission of God. Uh, Let's uh, read this passage here uh, before we dive into it. Beginning in verse 54 of chapter 7 of Acts. And when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and they covered their ears, and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went out stoning Stephen as they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Let's pray. Oh Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for the reading of your word, the hearing of your word. And uh, now, Lord, we thank you for the time that we will hear the preaching of your word. And we pray that we would not only be hearers of your word, but you would empower us to be doers of your word, that you might be glorified and we might know the joy of walking with you. Uh, Lord, I I understand that if you do not move, you do not open our hearts to understand and apply um, your word, uh, then we're hopeless. But Lord, you promise that you will. So we're counting on that this morning as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've been working our way down through the book of Acts, uh, we've continually been reminded that it's about the mission of God. That is what the book of Acts is all about. And when you read the book of Acts, with that in mind, you see there's definitely about the mission of God, that God's on mission. And Jesus commissioned his followers, his first followers, and all of those who come after him to be about fulfilling his mission. He was going to use people to fulfill his mission. Uh, Remember back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is the outline of the book of Acts, but we, we saw this as Jesus uh, commissioned the apostles before he ascended to heaven. He said, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The church is called to be about the mission of God. That is the call of the church. To be as witnesses to the world that God the Father sent God the Son to die in our place for the sin that we have committed that we might be forgiven for all past, present, and future sin and be made right with him. And Christ finished that word work through his death, burial, and resurrection. And when the Holy Spirit came and he indwelled the apostles and others to empower them, that's exactly what they began to do. To fulfill the mission that God had called them to. That Jesus said when he left, this is what you're going to be about. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He will empower you to do this. To be my witnesses. To take the gospel to the world. To be on the mission of God. Now early on in the process of uh, getting out the good news of salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they began to undergo some persecution. There was some opposition to what they were sharing, the message they were bringing. There was immediate, almost immediate opposition. We, we began in um, chapter 4. Uh, the apostles were warned. Now they were warned, stop teaching about Jesus. Stop preaching in his name. We don't want to hear it anymore. So they're warned. And then in chapter 5... Not only they are warned, but they're in prison and they're beaten. And then here at the end of chapter 7, one of the very first believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, after uh, Pentecost, was a man named Stephen. And now we're going to witness him being killed. So you see how this ramps up? It starts threatened. And then the next thing uh, that, 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 that happens is that there's not only warning and threatening, but there's beating. And after the beating, we ramp it up to another level, and someone's killed. All for the gospel's sake, because they were about the mission of God. Well, let me ask a question. Will this end? Do we need another one of those again? Okay. Um. Okay. All right. There we go. Well, we can go, we go for years, and we've never had a problem with it. It's two weeks in a row. But God is still in control. And his mission is still unstoppable. And, and Dirk, I say this sometimes, and you kid with me when I say, I don't really need this, and then Dirk will turn the sound down to let me know he's in control. I don't need this. I really don't need this. You all can hear me, believe me. But I, we record this, and people want to hear it. and um, So we're going to record it still, and uh, you can still hear me regardless. But the, the question here is, is we see this ramped up in the book of Acts. All right? We see this, this persecution get greater as the church begins to multiply. And we're over 20,000 people in the church now. And the persecution gets greater so that now they're starting to kill Christians. This is serious business. So here's my question. Will this end the fulfilling of God's mission? Will this end the fulfilling of the mission of God? I mean, it doesn't look good, does it? Come on, let's, I'll be honest. On surface, this does not look good. What well, they just kill all of them? It would stop his mission, wouldn't it? Can his mission be stopped? 
Well, the simple answer to that, as you've already said, is no. The mission of God cannot be stopped, no matter what they do. It's unstoppable. And we're reminded of this truth over and over and over again in the Scripture. If you've read, you know anything about the Scripture, when you read uh, about the mission of God and God's plan, you see that nothing can stop it. If you've been reading through the book of Genesis, I mean, even the people who are called God's people are acting pretty ugly. They're sinning against each other. I mean, there's incest going on. Uh, there, there, there's rape going on. Uh, there's murder going on. And these are the people of God. And yet God's plan just keeps on going. His mission just keeps on going. He's not intimidated, intimidated by their sin or our sin. His plan is unstoppable. And look with me at what's recorded near the end of God's word in Revelation 5, 9. It says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, this speaking about Jesus, to take the book and to break its seals. You were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And this is the picture of the end. All right? And worthy is the lamb. He takes the seal. And he, why? Because he has purchased with his blood a people for God from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. This is what is happening. This is what will happen. His death, burial, and resurrection is not in vain. It's, there's not just a chance that people will be saved. There's not just a chance that God will fulfill his mission. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. It's an insult that, well, Jesus died and maybe someone will come to faith in Christ. Are you kidding me? Then he died in vain. That's not how it works. We see the end. It's a guarantee that he will fulfill his mission. And all those who repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are part of this group. This people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. They're part of that. That's the evidence that they're part of that. Yet here in Acts 7, it doesn't look good for the God's team, does it? It doesn't look good for the church. They're starting to take them out. The enemies of God are trying to thwart the plan of God. They're trying to stop it. Well, what will happen? Will this heightened persecution we begin to see here in Acts slow down the fulfillment of God's mission, some might say? It's going to slow it down a little bit. It's not. In fact, this heightened persecution is actually going to accelerate the fulfillment of the mission of God. Isn't that a great? Isn't that awesome? The enemy thinks, I'm going to slow it down. Maybe, maybe I can't stop it, but I'll slow it down. No, not only does he not slow it down, but he speeds it up. In our world today, with all that's happening in our country and, and all around the world, we need to be reminded that the mission of God is unstoppable. It is unstoppable. So my hope for this morning as we study God's word is threefold. Number one, those who are about, about fulfilling the mission of God, that you would be encouraged that the mission of God is unstoppable. That's my hope for you. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're about his mission, I want to encourage you this morning to know no matter what happens, the mission of God is, in, is, is unstoppable. Number two, however, it will not come without difficulty. It will not come without a cost to those he's calling to be about fulfilling his mission. It's costly. And thirdly, those who are not yet on God's team, my prayer is you'll become a part of the fulfillment of the mission of God even today. That that'll happen. So that in mind, let's look now at these verses. Um, beginning in verse 
54 of chapter 7 and witness that the unstoppable mission of God is ongoing. Now as we approach these verses this morning, we must remember that Stephen has just given his defense to the Sanhedrin and the high priests and some other Jews. And they had accused him of blaspheming or speaking against God and the temple and Moses and the law, which are really just two things and just spoken in two different ways. He's blaspheming against God. He's blaspheming against the Moses and the law. And Stephen shows that it's not him who's the blasphemer, but actually they have blasphemed against God. They have blasphemed against the law. The very things that they would say, we never would do that. And you're the one doing that. And yet he chose them through the Old Testament, through the history of their people, the nation of Israel. That's exactly what they've always done. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit, it says. And that's what you're doing now because you just killed the Messiah you've been waiting for. Well, how do you think they're going to respond to Stephen's message? Well, let's look. Verse 54. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. There are no amens going on after Stephen's message or during it at all. None at all. They, they, they were cut to the quick. Some translations say they were cut to the heart. They were enraged. They were furious. This is an emotion that the word, it's very hard to translate this with one word in English. There's an emotion here that's very, very hard. That's what some people say, enraged. It was, in, it was just boiling up inside of them. It's just, oh, I'm a little upset. I really don't agree with that a little bit. That's okay. No, they were enraged. They were angry, full of anger. And they showed their anger by gnashing their teeth at him. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen somebody gnash their teeth at someone? Or have you ever done this yourself? Let, let me give you a little picture of what that looks. <laughs> and they're grinding their teeth. They're so mad at him. That's, that's gnashing their teeth. Now, none of you have ever done that before. And I looked so good doing it, you know I have. So uh, I, just, I just gave myself up right there. That's, na- that's how angry they are. And they're showing their anger by their, their facial expression. Uh, it's going to get worse. This is just your facial expression. And you can see the, 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 the anger boiling up inside of them. Now let's look at verse 55. That being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed, speaking of Stephen, intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Notice that word, but. Little three-letter word in English. It's actually a three-letter word in the Greek, too. It's kind of interesting. It's a little word. But. But it's huge. It's showing a contrast between Stephen and the people who are angry with him. The Jewish leaders are full of anger. And what does it say about about Stephen? He's full of the Spirit. See the contrast? Full of anger. And look how they're reacting. And full of the Spirit. And not only you can just say that one's full of anger, full of spirit, but his reaction, his response to what's going on is completely different. Full of anger leads to the gnashing of teeth. Full of the spirit leads to something else. It says that Stephen gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When a person is filled with the spirit, meaning they're controlled by the spirit, they do what Paul records in Colossians 3.1. Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. What does Stephen do in the midst of their anger? 
being full of the Spirit, he kept seeking the things above. He kept seeking Christ, the one who's the right hand of God. He looked to Jesus in the midst of his opposition. In the midst of the anger against him, he looked to Jesus. Do you? When people are angry with you because of your stance for the gospel, and you're sharing the gospel, and you receive opposition, do you look to Jesus? That's what Stephen did. He looked to Jesus. Rightfully so. It says that Jesus saw, it says that Stephen saw the glory of God, which is only said of a few others in Scripture. Think about this. That they saw the glory of God. Now Moses got a little glimpse, right, of the glory of God. It also Isaiah, in chapter uh, 6 of Isaiah, he gets a glimpse, a picture of the glory of God. Ezekiel gets this vision of the glory of God. And we, we see in the New Testament that Peter and John also get, a, 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 I mean Paul and John also get a little bit of a glimpse of the glory of God. And it's saying that he looked and he saw the glory of God. What a privilege. It should tell us something about Stephen, the way that God was using him. He got to see a glimpse of the glory of God. He looked and he saw the glory of God. He also saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now often Jesus is said to be what? Seated at the right hand of God. Now why is he standing here? So first of all, it, it, he's seated at the, at the right hand of the throne of God. We see this through the book of Hebrews especially because the high priest, all right, who were representative of, in a sense, of G, the, G, the Messiah to come, the great high priest to come, were always active. They were always doing something to be mediator between God and man. They were given sacrifices, on and on grain offerings. They were, would take that and present it to the Lord. And once a year, they went to the Holy of Holies and uh, on the Day of Atonement and uh, and sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat, um, to take care of the sins that people had committed in ignorance. That's what it says. To cover those sins. But they kept doing this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But it says that Jesus became not only the great high priest, but he was also the sacrificial lamb. And he died, listen to this, once for all sin. And he sat down to show that the work of redemption was done. He was no longer active in the work of redemption when he gave his life for our sin. That's, when it's, that's what it's meaning when it talks about sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He's done with the work of redemption. He doesn't have to forgive any more sin. He's taking care of that on the cross. Well, the fact that, Jesus, that Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand seems to indicate that Jesus is welcoming Stephen into his presence. It's like he's got up off the right hand of the throne of God and he's welcoming Stephen. This man who is giving his life for the gospel. And as far as we know, the first Christian martyr. Somebody said, well, maybe somebody died before him. And maybe they did. But God just chose us to tell us about Stephen, right? So as far as we know, he is. It's as if he's welcoming him in to the very presence of God. Wow. What a treat. What a gift. They would stand and welcome me in. Now look at verses 56. It says, and he said, behold, now Stephen has just seen this. He, we've told what he's seen. Now he's speaking. Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He lets everyone else around him know what he's seeing. I wonder how this is going to work out for him. Maybe he just should have kept it to himself, right? Well, the reference here at, at, to the Son of Man it's actually a reference to Daniel 7.14 where Daniel sees a vision of the Son of Man who is coming to the Ancient of Days, the Father, God the Father. And the Father is giving him his kingdom. 
and throughout the rest of Scripture and through Daniel, and we see that when the Son of Man comes, this will begin to be fulfilled. He will be giving, be giving him his kingdom when the Son of Man comes. He'll receive his kingdom. These very same men who are hearing Stephen say this also heard Jesus say this in Matthew 26, 63 and 64. But Jesus kept silent and the high priest said to him, it's the same high priest, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man, reference of Daniel 7, sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man over and over again. And these Jewish leaders knew it. They knew what he was talking about. They knew Daniel 7. He's saying he was the Messiah and he could approach the Ancient of Days and be given this kingdom. They knew it and they hated, they resented everything he said about being the Son of Man. What did they do to him? They killed him for saying, I'm the Son of Man. Now Stephen tells them he is seeing the glory of God in Jesus, the Son of Man, the Messiah whom they just killed, welcome him into heaven. Now remember, Stephen started his sermon back in, you can flip back there with me, look at chapter 7 verse 2. Look how he starts. He's saying, I'm seeing the glory of God. I'm seeing the Son of Man who's in a place of honor, a place of power with the Father. Right? I'm seeing the glory of God. But look back at the beginning of his sermon. He says this, and he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Ooh. He's saying the same God, the God of glory that appeared to Abraham, he's appearing to me right now. Oh, my goodness. They said a lot more than, oh, my goodness. I guarantee you that. What a statement. And when you see that in context, it makes it a whole, it's a lot bigger deal. I'm seeing the glory of God. He's claiming to see the God of Israel. He's claiming to see the one true God and the one who they killed, the Son of Man, stand, standing at his right hand. The place reserved only for God. Now, I wonder how they responded to this. You think he's winning some friends here? We'll see. Look at verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. Now, I have to tell you, when, when I was studying this week, every time I read this, this week, beginning on Monday when I start studying for Sunday, the next Sunday, every, and I read it every day, the pastor I'm going to preach on, every time I did this, I couldn't have but laugh. Now, think about what they're doing. Have you ever seen anybody run with their hands on their ears, scream, Ah! That's what they were doing. I mean, if they knew anything about, you know, aerodynamics and about running form, they would have been doing this. And this slowed them down. I mean, just look, they, they were so, listen, they were so angry, they were acting crazy. You would say, well, I just did, no, you may not come back because the pastor's crazy here, right? You would say, that's crazy, that you would do this and run at somebody. It's crazy. That's what anger does. And when you're full of rage, you do stupid stuff. And that's what they were doing. They were getting ready to do one, a really stupid stuff. Just not only this, but what they're getting ready to do to Stephen is amazing. They're full of anger. Look at verse 58. 
And beginning in verse 58, I'll read down through verse 60. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Having said this, he fell asleep. Saul was in, first part of verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Stephen was killed just like Jesus was. Not on a cross, but the one he was following. Why? Because he was about fulfilling the mission of God. That's why he was killed. Jesus was there to fulfill the mission of God the Father. He said, I only do what the Father tells me. And here Stephen, following in his footsteps, empowered by the Holy, God, the Holy Spirit in him, is now killed because he's about fulfilling the mission of God. You sure you want to be on the mission of God? You sure you know what you've signed up for here? Because we got a guy right here getting ready to get killed. Because of this. Because of his mission of God, he is killed. The mission of God, yes, it's unstoppable, no doubt. But it is costly to those who follow him and are focused on fulfilling his mission. It is costly. Uh, it, it pains me. It, 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 and, and it angers me, not so much that I ran around with my hands on my ears screaming. But it does anger me when I hear the gospel presented. Come to Jesus and all your problems will be over. No, they've just started. And God loves you so much that he'll bring pain in your life to grow you. You sure you want what this Christianity is offering? He said you got to lose your life. Your life is no longer, in a sense, important. It's the life of Christ in you that's important. Everything doesn't get better. Now you're right with God, which is the most important thing. And you're at peace with God. But you probably won't be at peace with everybody around you. Because you're following after Him. So when you hear that kind of, it's not even the gospel, it's actually heresy. Come to Jesus and He'll work everything out. Everything will be better in your life. It won't be. It will not be. In an earthly sense. It will be heavenly, but not in an earthly sense. A few weeks ago when we looked at Stephen's character, we, we jumped ahead to his death to, to highlight the fact that he was full, not only of the Holy Spirit, he was full of grace. And he was full of grace because he was full of the Spirit. And he was dying from being stoned to death. He's thinking of others. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. So as the Holy Spirit, he was full of the Holy Spirit, he extended grace in the area of forgiveness to those who were killing him. I mean, somebody just says something something may be accidentally bad about us. We're ready to take them out. We really get upset. Oh, oh man, I hope they go, uh, they don't deserve this. And we're like Jonah, right? All of a sudden, Nineveh repents. You gotta be kidding me, God. I knew this would happen. And we're mad because God is being gracious to them like he's been gracious to us. And yet not Stephen, because he was full of the Spirit. The Spirit was controlling him. And yet you, you see, and you see him extend grace toward others. Well, the mention of Saul here, notice he's mentioned twice. First, they, they lay their feet at the clothes, they, 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 they lay their clothes or their robes at the feet of this young man named Saul. And then um, in verse 1, you see that Saul was in hardly agreement with putting him to death. Um, it, it's really a transition in the book of Acts. It's getting, getting us ready for what's going to take place. The main character in the book of Acts, in the first part of the book of Acts, is Peter. And the second half of the book of Acts is Paul. And after we're done with Philip here, then we'll go to Paul. 
and he'll be the main character the rest of the time. So that's what's happening. They're bringing, they're showing you where did Saul get influenced, and we're going to talk about this in a, in a few weeks. Where did Saul get influenced? How did God use the events of the early church to to get to Saul and to change his heart and making Paul? So it's just warning us. This is getting ready to happen. Now look at the rest of verse uh, one of chapter eight. Uh, down through verse 3. And on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Things got worse. Now it's not just one guy, or a couple guys. It's a bunch of people. It says a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. It's like it just fueled the fire of everybody else who hated the church too. Well, they've killed one. Let's get them all. And then it says that Paul went ravaging the church, entering house to house and dragging off men and women, and he put them in prison. It's serious. So how about the mission of God? I mean, this is not looking good. Won't this slow down the fulfillment of his mission? Look how terrible, let's be honest, this is terrible. Well, look again at verse 1. It says, they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Oh, man. Well, what in the world does that mean? Oh, you need to go back and listen to the rest of the book of Acts. Because this is amazing. And I brought mention to it a few weeks ago. Remember back when we just saw this, Acts 1.8. Jesus said, you receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And what's happening? Verse 1 of chapter 8, they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Not only did this greater persecution slow, not slow down the fulfillment of not, not stop God's plan, it didn't slow it down either. It sped it up. It was like pouring pouring gasoline on a fire. It just spread like wildfire. Just as Jesus said it would. Now look at verse 4. And as we do this, just remember that the mission of God is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Verse 4, down through verse 8. Therefore those who had been scattered and went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began preaching Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip, and they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. From the case of many who, were un who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. The gospel was getting to Samaria just as Jesus had promised. Just as Jesus had promised. He's in Samaria. And, 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 and if you're Jewish, you're like, no way. Samaria? Even if you're a Jewish Christian, you're like, man, God's amazing. We just saying our God saves? He does, because if he can save Samaritans, he can save anyone. That's what a Jew would say. Because they're half-breeds. I mean, they're as far from God as you can get. And we're not even Samaritans. We're Gentiles. Even worse. This taking the gospel is in the context, and this spreading the gospel is in the context of, remember, persecution. You see, the mission of God is unstoppable. And this should be a great encouragement to us as we look at the many events in our country and our world. Well, let's be honest, there's some things going on in our own country right now as believers we're not happy about. It's not, it's not good. 
what's going on with, with the murder, continual murder of babies and now the, the not only murdering an abortion, but then after they murder them in a sense, they murder them again. It's awful. And then celebration of homosexuality as if it's something God approves. Now both of those things are sin and Jesus died for all sin. All that too. And that's good news, isn't it? But to call something good, which God calls evil, there's a problem. And we shouldn't be happy about that in a sense. But let me tell you something. The mission of God is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. And if you know him, you're on the mission of God. And you've got to know that the mission that we're called to fulfill will be fulfilled. It's a guarantee. I mean, who wants to sign up for the winning team? I'm all about that. You're on the winning team. We win. He fulfills his mission just as he promised. Don't let the persecution or your circumstances against the church discourage you. Instead, be encouraged that actually serves. This is unbelievable. I don't understand this. But I understand it's a truth. But I don't understand why it happens this way. But actually all that serves to fulfill the mission of God. I, I don't know how, but it does. Tertullian, he is a second century Christian author and apologist, once said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs. A martyr is someone who gives his life here for the gospel, for the, for the mission of the God. The blood, the, the murder of people for that is the seed of the church. And what happens with a seed? It grows. And you see this all throughout the scripture. We see it right here in verses of chapter 7 and chapters 8 in Acts. We also see it all through church history. All the way up to today. Let me tell you something probably many of you have heard before. On January 8th, 1956 in the jungles of Ecuador, five missionaries made um, contact with an, with an unreached tribe of Alka Indians. And those Alka Indians killed them all. Murdered all of them. All five of those missionaries who had been spent all their days praying and training to go to these Indians who were unreached. And they finally made contact with them. And they were murdered. Because why? They were on the mission of God. Surely this would hinder the spread of the gospel, right? I mean, things would just shut down. Wrong. It actually opened the doors for one of the missionary wives to go back and live with these Indians and the man, the very man who killed her husband in cold blood, to live with those Indians. And that lady's name is Elizabeth Elliot, the, the, the wife of Jim Elliot. And she lived with them. And her daughter, Jim, she was pregnant when he was killed. Her daughter lived among these Indians that killed her father. They were serious about the mission of God. And God used that to spread the gospel not only to that tribe, but tribes all over that region in Ecuador. It didn't hinder it. It didn't slow it down. It actually accelerated it when they killed these five missionaries. That lady, Elizabeth Elliot, actually records this later. She would later write, To the world at large, this was a sad waste of five young lives, but God has a plan and purpose in all things. There were those whose lives were changed by what happened on Palm Beach. That's what they called the, 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 the place that they were killed. 
In Brazil, a group of Indians at a mission station in Mato Grosso, upon hearing the news, dropped to their knees and cried out to God for forgiveness of their own lack of concern for fellow Indians who did not know of Jesus Christ. From Rome, an America, American official wrote to one of the widows, I knew your husband. He was to me the ideal of what a Christian should be. An Air Force major stationed in England with many hours of jet flying immediately began making plans to join the Missionary Aviation Fellowship. A missionary in Africa wrote, Our work will never be the same. We knew two of the men. Their lives have left their mark on, us, on ours. Off the coast of Italy, an American naval officer was involved in an accident at sea. As he floated along on a raft, he recalled Jim Elliott's words, which he had read in a news report, When it comes to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. He prayed that the Lord would rescue him, knowing that he had more to do, knowing that he had more to do than to die. He was not ready. God answered his prayer and he rescued him. In Des Moines, Iowa, an 18-year-old boy prayed for a week in his room, then announced to his parents, I'm turning my life over completely to the Lord. I want to try to take the place of one of those five. Did it stop the mission of God? Did it slow it down? Oh, just added fuel to the fire. I want to show you all something. I want to let you know that the demise of Christianity is much overrated because the mission of God will never be stopped. It's unstoppable. Oh, no, they say it's, everything's declining. Who said, who's they? We all, they, I mean, they're the authority, right? They, what well, they said. They didn't mean anything. We're talking about the God of all the universe. You don't listen to they. Listen to him. And look what we find out when we actually research things. Look at this. Now, you may not be able to see this super well. Okay, but let me just tell you what this represents. The, the, the maroon there, the little bit of maroon you see, that is decreasing evangelical population. Those who follow Jesus Christ. Okay, that's decreasing in our world. That's decreasing. Huh. But no, I mean, it is dying. Christianity is dying. Look at that. It's terrible. All right, well then the, 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 the yellow or the orange is evangelical growth slower, is slower than the country's population growth. That's the yellow. You see where we live? The evangelical growth is people following Jesus Christ, trusting him as Lord and Savior by faith alone, is, is slower than the population growth. Now look at the blue. The evangelical growth is faster than the country population growth. Where'd that be? Oh my goodness. Like everywhere! Except where we live. And a few places in Africa, it looks like. We ruined them when we went under our first missionary. I'm kidding. Um, in some ways, it's not, I'm not kidding. Now listen to this. The world population annual growth rate is 1.2%. The world evangelical annual growth rate is 2.6%. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? And I don't need this as proof. I'm just showing this is true. We don't need this, but we shouldn't be surprised that... The mission of God is actually growing around the world. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice the countries where it's growing. And notice where it's not. I wonder why. Remember what Tertullian said? Remember what we just witnessed right here? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's because we haven't been under much persecution. I brought this back up a few, brought this up a few weeks ago, and everybody's panicking. Oh, gosh, they said homosexuality marriages are okay. We're all going to die, and it's all going to be terrible, and we hate all them, and it's just awful reaction. So you know what? It's about time. Welcome to the real world. We're not in Disney World, anybody, world anymore, you all. The rest of the world is going under per, per, persecution. They're dying for their faith. They're losing their job. They're losing, they can't get food because they follow Jesus Christ. And we've been fat and happy all too long. I love, I love the United States of America. I do. 
I do. I'm, and I'm thankful for the freedoms we have. But you know, it's about time we got some persecution. And we're going to find out real quick who's part of the church and who's not. But I believe what's going to happen is the church is going to rise up and we're going to see, we're going to become blue on this map. I believe that. And I'm thankful for that. Because when persecution comes, the church grows. And that's great news. The mission of God is unstoppable. Now remember, my hope this morning was threefold, right? First, that those who are about fulfilling the mission of God would be encouraged that his mission is unstoppable. And I hope you're encouraged. Just reminded of that great truth. It's unstoppable. It's going on. Get on board. Be about fulfilling the mission of God. And taking the gospel to the nations. Start with your family. Go to your neighbors. Go to the people at work and the people you know here. And then we can take it to the world around us too. Now, outside of these, 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 this county and this state and this country. Secondly, it will cost you something. It's going to be difficult. People don't go, oh great, come and tell me about how a terrible sinner I am. They're not going to do that. They're going to be mad. They're going to hate you. You've got to trust God to change your heart. That's not your job. Just be faithful to share the great news that although you are sinful, God sent his son to die in your place so you can be forgiven and made right with him. That's great news, isn't it? That's what's called the gospel. And thirdly, those who are not yet on God's team will become a part of the fulfillment of the mission of God even this morning. And we should never tire of hearing this. That God created everything. And as creator, he's sovereign over all. And he wanted humans, the crown of his creation, to glorify him with their life. And yet, we didn't. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve didn't. They wanted to glorify themselves. So that sin separated them from God. And the wage of the sin, the scripture says, is death. Eternal separation from God forever in a, a real place called hell. But God, there's another but, there's listen to this conscious, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, had Jesus come die in our place and pay the penalty of death for us so that we might be forgiven and made right with God. And he asked us to respond to that great news by turning from self-trust, turning from self-glorification, and turning and trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ that you might be forgiven and be at peace with God. That's great news. And my prayer for you, if you don't know that, and a lot of you heard that a lot. And there's people who, in this room, I'm, I'm not thanking any particular people, but I just know in a, in a room this big with this many people in it, there are people here that have heard that and come here every single Sunday. And you're not right with God. You're trusting in yourself. You're, you're, you, 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 maybe you have traveling faith. I'm just, Lord, just take care of me as I drive to Houston. And that's the extent of your faith. That's okay, but it's not going to make you right with God. You've got to transfer the trust of your life. You're under the wrath of God because of your sin. And know that Jesus died for your sin and trust in what he did for you. That's the kind of faith that saves you. We're going to see next week of a faith that doesn't save. Don't be in that category. Be in the category of trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Be made right with God and be saved from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, putting this account of the murder of Stephen, who was about your mission. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, that your mission is unstoppable. You are going to fulfill your mission. Lord, I pray that those of us who know you, well, we would be about your mission. And those who don't, Lord, uh, that you would open their heart to the gospel. 
They would see their sin and need for Jesus, and they would trust in him. In Jesus' name, amen.